Well, welcome to Kensington. How's everyone doing today? Oh, that was weak. How's everyone doing today? 
I know our teaching pastor, Andrew, has said yesterday that any day that we can see the grass this time of year is a good day, right? Yeah, no worse, no. Well, like I said, welcome to Kensington. My name is Jalen Seawright, and I'm the worship arts director here. And we have an exciting service planned for you all today. Today we are wrapping up our series called It's Just a Phase. And Andrew Kim, our teaching pastor, will be bringing the message. He's got a great message in store for us today. Well, as we fly by these weeks here in 2018, we've got some very exciting news and updates coming our way, and uh, we want to share a little bit of that with you all. So, as some of you all know, we have three fixed campuses here in the Mitten. So we've got Traverse City, Orion, and then our campus here at Troy. Well, coming late spring, that won't be the case. There will be four fixed campuses with the addition of our Clinton Township campuses building. That's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, it's really exciting. Awesome. They'll have a place to call home. Well, Frankie, the intern is here on a video to tell you all a little bit more about this. So check this out. Oh my gosh, this thing is like a polar vortex. Can you see it, Tom? Oh my gosh, it's so hot. everybody it's Frankie the intern here Ugh, we're back to check out the Clinton Township building we're gonna get to go on a tour today I'm pretty excited it's our lucky day all right everybody this way this way this is where we're going now something we're really excited about for this room in particular though is that if our alpha class really works out we're gonna be starting beta and Charlie Okay, you guys, this is the multi-purpose room. It's gonna be used for Alpha and Celebrate Recovery. They're gonna have a production booth here in the back. Wow, is this the lobby? Oh my gosh. Wow, a couple, just like several months ago, there was no roof, there was no walls. This is incredible. I've got a lot of pride and joys in this building, but I gotta tell you, one of them is the men's bathroom. So come here, check it out, look at this. Wow. You got your sinks, but the best part is, look, how many stalls you got, look how many urinals you got. Oh, man. Look at that. Praise the Lord. And this one right here will be one with a handicap. Ooh. Big, nice, spacious. Look at that. Yeah. Pl plenty uh -huh. of room. Well, excuse me just for a moment. Well, that's a urinal. Oh. Oh, is it? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We can see from the outside, looks like they got this garage door here so they can bring in any vehicles or large items such as an animal as we've had on stage before. You guys, look at this auditorium. It's because of all the people who have given to the Everyone campaign. Thank you guys so much. It's gonna be thousands of people in this region who don't know Jesus Christ, great people that God is gonna bring and they're gonna move this ball forward and we don't even know them yet. It's pretty great to think about. All right, you guys, it's been awesome to be on this Clinton Township tour today. I'm pretty excited for the impact that this building is going to have. It's going to be awesome, you guys. Can't wait to see you guys next time. It's Frank the Intern, signing off. Much love. Hey, Tom, check this out. Check this out. I think they're going to build a pool in here because they got a ton of pool noodles. I'm going to build a raft. Uh, that's so exciting. So happy for our Clinton Township campus. 
and uh, all that God is going to be doing in that new building. Exciting to have a place to call home. Well, as we move forward, like I said, in the future, next this week we're wrapping up our series, It's Just a Phase. Next week we're entering a new series called Unstoppable Force. For those of you all who are like me and look ahead in the program, you'll see it says Intentional Acts of Kindness. Well, we decided that we were going to actually switch it up, and we're going to do a series called Unstoppable Force. We're going to bring Intentional Acts of Kindness back in the fall. They're both great series. Uh, so we look forward to seeing you all back here next week for the start of the series called unstoppable force a little bit more about that series we've got a video a short little clip for you to tell you a little bit more about that check this video out Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name there I am in the midst and so we have people that are launching new initiatives new dreams all the time the beauty of life is when you can say we did this together that's what I want As a church family, we can fuel incredible mission and ministry here and around the world. I think the best is yet to come. Yeah, that's exciting. And this is not just for those who have been around Kensington for a long time just to see what God's doing here, but this is for everyone, everyone who is looking to see just what happens when God, when you decide to move in and jump in and let God use you to be that unstoppable force. Well, I've got Sam up here with me. He works with our students, and we've got some exciting updates that is going on with some of our students. So he's going to tell us a little bit about that. Take it over. Yes, sir. Um, so like Jalen said, my name is Sam. I get to work with our student team and help lead that along with Caitlin and a few other people. Um, but the thing about our team is that it's, yes, we have a, a staff team, but we also have about 50 volunteers who give of their time, who sacrifice every Sunday hours away from home to invest in the next generation. And so we've heard throughout this series about the importance of investing and speaking into the to the students that are rising up and, and taking roles of, of intentionality and really speaking into them. And so if you're somebody who over the last few weeks has felt like, man, like, oh, like that hit me. Like, I feel like I need to do that. You need to take that step. Come and talk to me or somebody from our team in the lobby after service today. And we'd love to help connect you and empower you in that way. And like Jalen said, we do have a couple big things coming up. First thing in March, so March 9th and 10th, we're going to be meeting for our breakaway ministry, which is our middle school students, with our takeover event, which is we do it every year. We blow it out. We have a ton of fun. Um, and we go and we take over a couple of places within the area. So we're going up to Oxford to the Legacy Center. If you've ever been there, it's incredible. Uh, they have like a pool. They have airtime, trampolines, go-karts, virtual reality. It's going to be um, a blast for our students. And then we're also going to go down to Dave & Buster's, and we're going to have unlimited video games. So if you've ever been to Dave & Buster's, you know that unlimited video games is the way to go. I've never had that, so I'm personally excited about it. If you want to volunteer, hey, it's an option. Um, But if you know a middle school student or if you have one uh, in your life, 
make sure to sign them up um, or come talk to us. You can go to kensingtonchurch.org slash takeover to register online as well. And then the big thing, the other event that we have for our students this summer that we're pushing everybody towards, um, we have our Student Serve Camp, which is going to be a time where we're actually moving out with our students this summer. We've had in the past, we've gone to NTS, but this summer we really feel like when our students put their faith into action, that that's when they grow, that that's when they stick. And it's really going to be like our wild retreat, if you've ever had a, gone on that or had a student go on that, plus a mission trip. Um, and so we're pumped for that. We get to use power tools. If you're a student, it's unsupervised use of power tools. If you're an adult and a parent, it's supervised use of power tools. Um, we're going to have a lot of fun. And sign up to reserve your spot before March 19th because our first, um, first team meeting is March 22nd. So we'd love to get you guys signed up for that, ready to go this summer. It's going to be um, incredible. Um, yeah, but thank you guys so much for being here. Like Jayla said, it's going to be an awesome day today. Go ahead and stand up, greet one another, and take a wager on whether or not the snow is coming back before spring. She'll be okay. Oh, she'll be fine. All right, hold still, honey. Here we go. Yeah, there it is. Okay, let's take a look. Oh, it's not too bad. Just a scratch. I think she needs stitches. Stop. I know, I know. I'm so sorry, honey. Girls can be mean. Be careful. And remember... Everyone out there is an idiot. Oh. Oh, honey, you look so beautiful. What's his name? Seriously? Oh, look at you. My goodness. Honey, we're really proud of you. Okay, you're going to do great. I'll FaceTime you around four every day. <laughs> we'll see about that. Are you okay? Yeah, I'll, I'll be fine. It just went so fast. I know. I know. Good morning, everyone. If we haven't met, my name is Andrew Kim, and I am the teaching pastor here at Troy. And as you just saw, we're in this series called It's Just a Phase, where we've been talking about parenting. And two weeks ago, we kicked off the series by talking about how two combined influences have a greater impact than two separate influences. That when the local church and the family combine together, partner together in the lives of our children, something extraordinary is able to happen. And last week, we continued on in this conversation by talking about how important it is to maximize the time that we have with our children, because that time will not last forever. 
And the main point that we, of last week's message was, when you see how much time you have, you tend to do more with the time you have now. And if you're just joining us in this series and you don't have children at home, you may be tempted to think at, one, at some point that, you know what, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not there right now in my life. And if that's you, or if that's you at any point this morning, I want to invite you, I want to challenge you to stick with us. Because one of our primary goals in this series is that every single one of us here, regardless of where we are in life, whether we're single and ready to mingle, whether we're married, divorced, widowed, whether we have children at home or not, that for every single one of us, that our perspective of parenting would be expanded, would be, would be widened because of what happens in this series that we would understand that it's not just about our own children, but it's about all the other children that God will bring into our lives. The children in our local communities and neighborhoods, region, as well as in our world. About investing, teaching, loving, encouraging, and pointing them to Jesus. And so I want to invite you, if you ever have that thought, you know what, doesn't apply to me, that you would continue to stick with us and remain engaged with us this morning. Because this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to be wrapping up the series by talking about fighting within the context of our families. And something that I'm going to ask you to do at the end of this message is I'm going to ask you to fight with your family. And some of you may be thinking, you know what, I already did that. I'm ahead of the curve. We did that on the way to church here. (laughs) How How many of you actually did that? Just by a quick show of hands, how many of you already fought with your family? So you guys are ahead of it. But if you already did that, and if that's you, I'm going to ask you to go and to do it again, but this time in a very different way. But I think something that we can all agree on is that every family fights, every single one. And sometimes the fights that we have with our family, they're just small little dust-ups, small little disagreements. Other times, they're huge blow-ups where there's thunder and where there's lightning. And we're going to hear a song right now that talks exactly about that. Just a young cut with a quick view. I was up top, wanna let loose. I was dreaming of bigger things and wanna leave my own life behind. Not a yes sir, not a follower. Fit the box, fit the mold, have a seat in the foyer. Take a number, cause I was lightning before the thunder.
Not usually. Yeah, you do. Cause that's a problem. Cause you're a problem. Who, me? Yeah. Why? Cause you're the one that's not. Thunder, feel the thunder. Lightning and the thunder. Thunder, feel the thunder. Lightning and the thunder. Thunder, feel the thunder. Lightning and the thunder. We've all been there, right? We've all experienced the lightning and the thunder when we go at it with our family, when we go at it with our children. And as I was thinking about this song this past week, the lightning and the thunder, when that happens, I was reminded of something that happened a couple of months ago, a fight that I got into with my daughter, Ellie, and she's six. And the reason why we got into it was that I had made dinner and she refused to eat it. And I remember I had had a long day. I had had a long week up to that point. So I was tired. I was stressed. I was frustrated. And not to mention my wife was working late that night, so I was solo with the kids. So what I wanted from my children that night was I wanted compliance. If I asked them to do something, I wanted them to look at me and say, yes, kind and loving father, we will immediately do what you asked. That's what I wanted. But you know how many times that my children have said that to me in their short lives? A big fat zero. That has never happened and probably will never happen. And if it ever happened, I'd probably run away thinking that their bodies had been taken over by aliens. But that night, that's what I wanted. And part of me even expected that. But I wasn't getting it from them. And especially not my daughter, Ellie. And so we went back and forth a little bit, and then I had a short fuse that night, so I just got frustrated, and I ended up saying to her, if you don't want to eat dinner, then just go to your room. And so she got up out of her seat, but before she walked off, she turned and looked at me with her angry face, because I know she wanted to get the last word in. And she looked at me, and she said, Dad, all you care about is us listening to you. All you care about is us doing what you say. And you would have thought that I would have gotten so angry with her. But I didn't. Because what she said, her statement, hit me like a ton of bricks. Because I felt like there was so much truth in what she said. Because when it comes to being a parent, I tend towards being a rules parent. Because I was raised by a rules parent. So oftentimes, my attitude when it comes to my children is do what I say. Do what I say or else. Classic rules parent. But my wife, Robin, She's very different than me when it comes to parenting in that she tends to be more of a relational parent. So in this situation, how she would have handled it is that if my daughter, if, if our daughter had refused to eat dinner and she was there, she would have taken the time, sat next to her, and then she would have asked her, what's wrong? Why don't you want to eat dinner? And then she would have taken the time to explain to her why it's important to eat what we make and why we in our family don't make separate dinners for every single person. Very, very different approach. So just by a quick show of hands, how many of you are like me and you lean towards being a rules parent? How many of you? All right, so a lot of you. How many of you are like my wife, Robin? You lean towards being more of a relational parent. Okay, it's almost like a 50-50 split. So the main point of today's message is, you know what? Be a rules parent because we're the best. That's what the message is. Be exactly like us. You know what? We win. Right? That's what we want. We want to win. No, that's not what today's message is all about. 
But, and the thing is, is that nobody is one or the other. Nobody is 100% rules. Nobody is 100% relationship. We tend to be a mixture of both. We tend to lean one way, but we're not 100% one or 100% the other. But regardless of whether you're a rules parent, regardless of whether you're a relational parent, something that I know about every single person here in this room is that you want the best for your child. Whether it's your child at home, whether you're a teacher, it's a child in your class, whether you're an aunt or an uncle, it's your niece or nephew, whether it's a godchild, uh, a grandchild, whoever it may be, I know that you want the best for them. And so the big question then is, what's the best approach to take? Is it better to be more rules-focused, or is it better to be more relationship-focused? And that is a really, really hard question. But thankfully, we don't have to answer it, because you know who's going to answer it for us? Jesus is going to be answering it for us in the passage we're going to be looking at today. And in this passage, what we find is that Jesus was talking to a group of religious leaders called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees... These guys were an impressive bunch of people because one of the things that they had done was that they had taken all the laws in the Old Testament, and there are a lot, and they had broken them down into 613. Seems like a lot, but from where they started from, it was a lot more. So they had broken them down into 613 laws, 360 negative ones, 248 positive ones. These Pharisees were also some of the most meticulous students of the law and some of its most rigorous defenders. So you would have thought that Jesus would have loved these guys, that he would have been their number one fan. But he wasn't. Because no group of people saddened and angered Jesus more than these religious leaders called the Pharisees. And one of the main reasons was, although these Pharisees, they understood the law better than anybody else, they had missed one of its primary purposes. In that one of the primary purposes of the law was to reveal our need for a savior. And that in and of themselves, it was to, the law was to reveal that they couldn't do it on their own. They couldn't live in the way that God wanted to by their own strength. That they didn't have it within them. And that, and that the law should have showed them that they needed something or someone else to enter into their lives to help them and to save them. And who that someone was, was Jesus But even though Jesus was literally standing in front of them on so many occasions, they didn't recognize him because they thought they didn't need him because they thought they could just do this all on their own. And what Jesus did was that he called them out on this, oftentimes in public, which made them really, really angry. So Jesus and these religious leaders called the Pharisees, they oftentimes clashed. They were in conflict with one another a lot. And we're going to see one instance of it in our passage today. And it comes from the New Testament, the very first book in the New Testament called the book of Matthew. And this is what Matthew writes. He says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. So Matthew sort of sets the scene for us. And what he says is that Jesus had just finished having a conversation with the Sadducees, who are another religious group. And so they had tried to trick Jesus about, with a question about marriage in the afterlife. But what Matthew tells us was that Jesus' response was so brilliant that the people who were there listening, they were astonished at his teaching because they had never heard anything like this before. And then after the Sadducees had their talk with Jesus, the Pharisees wanted to have a talk with Jesus. They wanted their shot at him. So they didn't just send anyone. They sent one of their best. They sent an expert in the law 
to ask Jesus a question. And what this expert said to Jesus was he starts out by saying, teacher, and that he addresses Jesus like this. And by saying, referring, addressing someone as teacher, that was a term of respect. So outwardly, he was showing Jesus respect. But we know that inside, he didn't have any respect for Jesus because all he was trying to do was trying to trick, trap, and embarrass Jesus. And the, and the question this expert asked Jesus was this, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Which one is number one, Jesus? And this was a hotly debated issue back in Jesus' day among the religious leaders. But what they did agree on, what these, all of these religious leaders did agree on, was that there were certain commands in the law. Out of the hundreds and hundreds of laws there were, there were certain commands that were more significant, more weighty than others. And, but something that they else agreed on was that these less weighty laws, just because some people considered them, people considered them to be less significant, you couldn't, didn't mean that you could just throw them out and ignore them, because they agreed that all of God's commands were important, and that we had to keep them and we had to follow them. But the reality was they considered some to be more significant, more important than others. And you see this in our culture as well. We consider certain laws to be more important, more significant than others, like the law not to murder, Right? We, we view that, that's important, but to jaywalk, not to jaywalk, eh, you know what? Maybe we'll follow that sometimes, maybe we won't. Same thing back then. But what this Pharisee, what we see is that he didn't ask Jesus which laws, which commandments are the most important. He asked which one commandment is the most important. And as I mentioned, this was a hotly debated issue back during Jesus' day. And so what the Pharisees thought was that by asking Jesus this question, there was no way that he could escape controversy because no matter what he said, they believed that he would upset, alienate, and anger someone. So they believed that they had backed Jesus into a corner, that they had put him in a no-win situation. But what we see is that Jesus' response was extraordinary because he says, you want to know what the number one commandment is? This is it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And all these Pharisees, they would have known about this law because where this law came from, what Jesus was referring to was this passage called the Shema, which is found in the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy. And this passage called the Shema has really been the foundation of this series that we've been in. And it's also on the decals that many of you took home a couple of weeks ago. And so what Jesus does is that he pulls out this command and then he elevates it. And as we'll see in a moment, he also hangs every other command on it. So Jesus gives them number one. But what he also did was he gave them number two, the second greatest commandment by saying, love the Lord, love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So this is what Jesus was saying. He was saying to these religious leaders, you want to know what this whole God thing is all about? It's not about following a bunch of laws or commands or a bunch of rules. Because if that's all it's about, then you're just going to have a sterile and lifeless faith. But what it's about is that it's about love. But what's also really important for us not to miss is that Jesus doesn't say, hey, you know what? It's just about love. It's only about love. So all of these other commands that God's given you, just forget about them, ignore them, just throw them out the window. That's not what he says, because he says all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands to love. 
So what Jesus is saying is that all the commands that God has given us are important, that we need to keep them, we need to observe them, we need to follow them. And so what Jesus is saying is this, just to sum it all up, he was telling these religious leaders, you want to know what this whole God thing, this whole Christian thing is all about? It's about a relationship with God that's based on love. It's about loving God with your entire being, with your heart, your soul, and your mind. Loving God deeply and passionately from the very core of your being. And when you do that, then you will understand in a greater way God's love for you as well. You will understand that he loves you, he values you, he cherishes you, he is for you. And when we understand that, then we'll be compelled to follow these laws, these commandments, because we'll understand that God hasn't given us these laws, these commandments, to make our lives complicated or miserable or to somehow restrict us, but rather the opposite. He's given them to us to set us free. It's incredible, incredible statement that, statements that Jesus makes here. And so going back to that question, is it rules or is it relationship? What Jesus says in this passage is that it's both. And that what we try to separate Jesus fuses together in an incredible way. And imagine if we had this perspective when it comes to our children, when it comes to parenting, that it wasn't rules, it wasn't relationship, but it was both. That our children understood that it wasn't just about doing what we say, following the rules and the boundaries that we've set for them, but they also understood that it was about relationship, that we loved them, that we valued them, them and that we cared for them more than they could ever understand or imagine and my thought is is that if our children understood this that it is both that we would capture their heart and that they would understand that we are for them but if this is going to happen something that i know and something that many of you know is that it's not just going to happen by accident we're not just going to fall into it one day Because if we want our children, if we want this to be a greater reality in their lives, we have to be intentional. We have to fight for it as parents, as teachers, as people who have children in our lives who we're investing into. We have to fight for it. And so if this is what you want to be a greater reality in your children's lives, I want to just give you three things that we can fight for today to make this happen. The first thing to fight for as parents is that what we need to do is that we need to fight for our children's interests. And something that I know that many of us, including myself, are very, very good at is that we're really good at fighting for our own interests. But this is the problem with fighting for our own interests. Because when we fight for our own interests, it's a zero-sum game. In that in order for us to win, in order for our interests to prevail, that means that someone else has to lose, that someone else's interests have to be sacrificed. And oftentimes when that happens, walls come up and the relationship suffers. But when we're fighting for someone else's interests, we don't care about winning because we want that other person to win. We don't care about our interests because we want that other person's interests to prevail. And when that happens, walls come down and the relationship gets stronger, not only in the short term, but also in the long term. So what if we fought for our children that way? We fought for their interests. It wasn't about us winning, but it was about them winning. It wasn't about our own interests winning or prevailing, but it was about their interests prevailing. And we were willing to sacrifice whatever it took to make that happen. Whether it's our pride, 
our ego, maybe our own lives. And if that is the way that we fight for our children, I can imagine that walls would come down and our relationship with them would get stronger, not only in the short term, but also in the long term. And somebody who fought for my interests was a man by the name of Tim. And how I met Tim was that right after college, I went to work for a humanitarian organization called Mercy Ships. And Tim was my, he was my boss, he was my mentor, the first father figure I ever had in my life. And at the age of 23 years old, first father figure because my father passed away of cancer when I was four. And so I joined this organization. I was working for this organization. And my job with this organization was to help lead a five-month-long training program that they had. And this five-month-long training program was split up into a three-month-long learning component and a two-month-long fieldwork component. And my job was predominantly focused on the fieldwork component to lead teams to various places around the world. And my first year with the organization, I thought, went really, really well. I was really proud of myself for what happened because I was a part of two teams, and both of these teams did really well. So I remember looking back on my first year, thinking to myself, Andrew, you're awesome. Way to go. And I was basically doing this, patting myself on the back with both hands. And then year two started, and it started out really busy because we were preparing for another team to come in. And this team, their fieldwork portion was going to be going to Sierra Leone, and which is in West Africa. And my boss, Tim, at that time, he was looking for someone to lead this team. And he needed a strong leader because that trip was going to be a difficult one because Sierra Leone was just coming off of a decade-long civil war. And I knew this. I knew he needed a leader. And I was thinking, you know what? You got your leader right here, right? Because I'm awesome. I'm amazing. I'm the best you got. So I thought, choose me. And so one morning, Tim called me into his office, and I thought the conversation that we were going to have would go something like this. I thought he would say to me, Andrew, you're one of the best leaders that I've seen. You're one of the best leaders that has ever come through this organization, so would you consider leading this next team to Sierra Leone? And then I was going to say, oh, you know what? I was going to say something like, oh, throw some false humility his way and say, oh, no, Tim, I'm really not that great. But in my head, I would be thinking, yeah, I am. And then I was going to say, oh, but I humbly accept, thank you, but I humbly accept this responsibility. I thought our conversation might go something like that, but it didn't. I walked into his office and I sat down in a chair across his desk. And the first thing that he did, he didn't say a word to me, but the first thing that he did was that he pushed this book that you're going to see in a moment across the desk to me, and he said, read it. That's all (laughs) he said. Yeah, that book. And then at that point, I honestly wish he had stopped talking, but he kept talking. (laughs) Kept talking, and he said to me, not only do I I want you to read this book, but for the next few months, while your friends and your colleagues are prepping for this next team to come in, you're going to be in the cafeteria, mopping floors, washing dishes, and also cleaning the bathroom. And when he first said that to me, I was in total shock. I sort of expected him to say, ha, 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 got you, but that moment never came. So I was shocked for a moment, and then I got angry. I got really angry. And he explained to me why he was doing this, why he had made this decision, but that didn't help. And we went back and forth for a little bit. But, and I honestly thought in that moment, maybe I should just quit and go home because I don't need this and I don't need you. But I decided to stick it out. But there's no way of changing his mind because this was what he had decided. 
And honestly, at the time, I thought he was punishing me for some reason. But in looking back, I know that in that moment, he was fighting for my interests. He was fighting for my best because he understood that there was no way that I could be the person that God had created me to be with this immense amount of pride in my life. There was just absolutely no way. So he was fighting for my interests. And in doing this, it cost him something. Because in sending one of his staff members up to the cafeteria during one of the busiest times where this team was coming in and we needed to prep, it meant that there was more work for him to do. And he was already busy. So he had to pick up the slack. But at the same time, he also knew that I would be furious with him, which I was. It cost him something. But even though he understood the cost, he was willing to do it because he was fighting for my own interests. He put my interests above his own. And the thing with Tim was, was that he didn't just send me to the cafeteria and say, hey, good luck with that. I'll see you in two months. No, he checked on me, checked in on me almost every single day. And every single week, we would have longer conversations. And he would ask me questions like, how are you doing? What's God teaching you? What's God doing in your life? And those two months, parts of them were really, really hard because it was incredibly humbling. But they were also two of the most transformative and beautiful months that I've ever experienced in my life. And it was because somebody chose to fight for my interests, to fight for my best. And no one modeled fighting for someone else's interests better than Jesus. Because while Jesus' enemies were nailing him to the cross, he said some incredible words. He said, God, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. And what they didn't realize, what these people who were nailing Jesus to the cross didn't realize was that Jesus, who they were killing, was actually dying for them. And in dying for them, he was fighting for their interests. He was fighting for their best. And so what if we had this perspective? What if we had this attitude when it came to our children, when it comes to parenting? That when it comes to the children who God has entrusted us with, that we would fight for their interests above our own, their good above our own, their best above our own. But in addition to fighting for their interests, something else that we have to do as parents, something else that we can fight for is to fight for their trust. And something that all of us here know is that trust is essential in relationships. But sometimes as parents, we focus so much on our children needing to earn and build trust with us that we forget that we also need to earn and build their trust. And we build trust with our children when we do things like keep our promises, when we're consistent in the way that we lead and love and discipline and parent, when we tell the truth, when we're open about our lives, when we listen and respect them, and when we don't freak out about things that happen in their lives. It builds trust. And when there's trust in a parent-child relationship, in an adult-child relationship, incredible things are able to happen. They feel safe and secure, so they're able to come to us with great things that happen in our lives, they share also hard things that happen in our lives because there's open and honest communication. When there's trust between an adult, a parent, and a child, teacher, child, whatever that relationship may be, is that when we provide rules, when we provide boundaries, they're more apt to listen and follow because they know that we want the absolute best for them because they trust us. And oftentimes, how trust is developed is through just small incremental steps through things that happen every single day. Not extraordinary things, but just simply ordinary things. And over years, trust is able to be built up. But sometimes, 
It's not just small steps. Sometimes there are big steps that really move and build that trust in significant ways. And one of those big trust moments for me was with my mom. An event that built a lot of trust for me and my mom was an event that happened when I was 16. And when I was 16 years old, I had just gotten my driver's license. And four days after I got my driver's license, I asked my mom if I could take the car so I could go play around a golf. And so she was kind enough to say yes. And so I took the car, picked up my friend, we played, I, was, I dropped him off, and then I was driving home. And I was driving home down this busy road, sort of like Rochester Road. And at one point, I needed to turn left. But in Vancouver, the city I grew up at the time, they didn't really have a lot of turn signals like we do here. So the only way that I could turn left was to wait until that light, was to inch out into the intersection, wait for that light to turn yellow, and wait for oncoming traffic to stop, and then to be able to make that turn. So that's what I did. I I inched out into the intersection, and I remember that light turning yellow. And then I saw incoming, oncoming traffic stop, and then I started to make my turn. But then in the middle of the turn, I looked up, and I realized that there was a van barreling towards me, and we collided. And when I came to my senses, I looked up and I couldn't see out my windshield because my hood was like this. And my steering wheel had gone from being here to being right here. But thankfully, I was able to sort of shimmy out and I got out the passenger door. And when I looked at my car or my mom's car, I thought to myself, oh boy, I am in big trouble. And I can't even tell you how scared I was to call my mom. Because I thought, you know what? I thought that my mom would just flip out on me. I thought she would say something like, I never should have trusted you with the car. I knew that you were too inexperienced. I knew that you weren't responsible enough, that you wouldn't make good decisions. Do you know how much this is going to cost us? How much time it's going to require for us to get this fixed or to buy a new car? I thought that's what she would say to me. But when I called her, the very first thing that she said was, are you okay? She never even mentioned the car in the first conversation that we had. Didn't even mention anything about it. And later on, I asked her, and I said to her, you know what, Mom, I was really scared to call you. I was really scared to talk to you about this because I thought you'd just flip out on me. But you didn't. Why not? And she told me that when my dad was alive, at the very beginning of their marriage, She had gotten into a car accident, and she felt the same way. She was scared to tell him because she thought that he would get angry. But his response, the first words out of his mouth were, are you okay? He didn't even mention the car because he understood that the car is just a thing and things could be replaced. And she said, you know what? I remember how that made me feel. I remember that made me feel loved and cared for, and it made me feel valued, and that's how I wanted you to feel as well. And I cannot tell you how much trust that built up between myself and my mom. Because I knew in that moment that, you know what? I can go to her with the hard things. I could go to her with my failures. I could go to her when I make mistakes and she's not going to flip out on me because she is for me. That day, she fought for my trust. And it built up a huge amount of trust between her and me. So two things that we can fight for with our children. We, can, we need to fight for their interests, and we also need to fight for their trust. But before I mention the third thing, what I want to do is I want to invite the ushers to come forward to receive our offering today. And if you're new with us today, first thing I want to say is 
is we want to welcome you and we want to say thank you so much for being here. We're thrilled that you're here. But please do not feel any obligation to give because what we'd love for you to do is that after the service to go out into the lobby and to have a conversation with someone at our starting point table. And you'll be able to see them because they're wearing bright orange shirts with the big word starting point on the front. And we'd love for you to talk to them about how you can get connected into our community. But three things that we need to fight for is that we need to fight for our children's interests, we need to fight for their trust, but we also need to fight for our own relationship with God. And in the Shema, which as I mentioned is found in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is what Moses says at the very beginning of that passage. He says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. First thing that Moses says in addressing the people of God. And then later on, and so Moses was saying in this passage, what he says, the most important thing that you can do is love God. And then later on in the passage, he says, to also t- he also tells them, I want you to love your children by showing them and telling them about God. And I think the order is so important because Moses says, first of all, parents, adults, love God. Second thing that I want you to do is love your children. And the reason why I believe that Moses does it in that order is because he understood that our capacity to love our children was based on our relationship with God. That when we love God like this in a greater way, when we make steps to take steps towards loving God in this way, that God's love in a greater way is poured out into our lives. And then with this love, we are able to then love our children as God has called us to love them. But if our relationship with God, if we're not fighting for our relationship with God every single day, that's not going to happen. Because for every single one of us, I know that there are so many things every day that are vying and fighting for your time. So unless we make this a priority, unless we say every single day, God, I'm going to prioritize my relationship with you, there's no way we're going to be able to love our children in this way, in the way that God has called us to. And this love that God has called us to love our children with is an incredible love. And we're going to be reminded of this love in a moment when we all stand up and we're going to read a passage from 1 Corinthians 13 that talks about love. And it's a beautiful picture of love. And if you've been to any wedding, you've probably read this passage or you probably heard this passage because it's very, very common at weddings. But it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of love. The love that God has for us and the love that also he tells us to love our children with. And yesterday, some of the people on our teaching team, we were having a conversation about this passage. And Steve Andrews, who's our co-founder and the, lead, and the leader of our movement, he had some incredible insights about these words. And this is what he wrote. He said, the love that Jesus is talking about in 1 Corinthians 13 is impossible. It's not only a beautiful description of love, it's also a damning mirror to how poorly we as human beings love. Only Jesus in us, by his Holy Spirit, can love this way. If we miss this, then we just made love another impossible rule to follow that none of us can do. That's why Jesus came to fill our hearts with himself. And what Steve was talking about is that there is no way, this passage that we're going to be reading in a moment, there's no possible way that we as human beings, that we as parents, we as teachers, mentors, whoever it may be, that we can love our children in this way. Impossible. We don't have what it takes. But if we want to love our children in this way, it requires the help of God. Because without him, no chance. 
And so, which is why we, again, need to be connected with him and fight for our relationship with God every single day. So let's all stand up and let's all read this incredible picture of love that God provides us in the scriptures. It says this, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, because love never fails. It's an incredible, incredible picture of love. And something about this whole journey in regards to parenting is that it is a very, very hard journey. And I said this last week, but it's the hardest thing that I've ever done and ever experienced in my life because in no other area of my life have I ever made so many mistakes and had to apologize so many times. And if you've experienced this, if you've invested in a child, you know, you know this as well. You know this truth because you've experienced this truth. But on this journey, we're going to make a ton of mistakes with our children. But when we make those mistakes, we can take comfort in the fact that those mistakes, when we do make them, it provides space for God to enter in and to do what only he can do, which is truly the extraordinary. So on this journey that every single one of us, as parents, as teachers, as mentors, as uncles and aunts, as grandchildren, as godparents, whoever it is, that you would know that on this journey that you would take courage and that we would take courage. And we're gonna sing that song in a moment but that we could take courage and have courage, not because we're great in and of ourselves, but on this journey that's called parenting, that because we can take courage, because God is with us, that he is for us and give us and will give us everything that we need to love our children in the way that he's called us to. Let's sing.
Yeah. 
and lead the children that God has entrusted to us, that we would remember what we just sang about right now, that all his promises are yes and amen, that God has been faithful and he will continue to be faithful in our lives as parents. And so as we close today, just three things I want to remind you of. Midweek is happening this Wednesday at Troy. I want to invite you to come for Come, for, come back for that. I need to get the words out of my mouth. And also next week, we're going to be starting a brand new series called Unstoppable Force. We'd love for you to join us for that. Invite a friend to come with you as well. If you would like to receive prayer, our prayer team is going to be in the front. So if you'd like someone to pray with you, pray for you, we'd love for you to come down for that. Thanks so much for being here, everyone. Have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday.